Hey guys, so welcome to the Vintage Grace Living Room. I've been loving this phrase that although we're gathered under many roofs, in different many living rooms, we're under one name, the name of Jesus. And so thank you, Mandy and Jen, for joining us from your living rooms. Like I say, here you're in the Vintage Grace Living Room, but I'm pumped to be in this new series with you. In fact, really, this series through James for us as a church is going to be kind of a vision and value series. Like you just got done talking about community. We believe that's our third value, transformed in community. I'm going to invite you into the text and just a minute so put your Bibles because we're saturated in scripture and ultimately our number one value is that we believe there's more joy in Jesus and that we send you to be that living proof of loving God and so I'm excited to dive into the text with you today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James and as you go there I want to highlight a couple of things. The first one is this, why are we doing this series at this time? So we're coming off of Easter we're in the middle of COVID-19. That's why we're scattered in our living rooms. Maybe you remember the, the Easter egg metaphor for, from this past week. In fact, a couple of you texted me and said, was that a real egg? Again, I wrote my name on it so you saw, but here's another fresh egg. And the metaphor was simply this, that if you take an egg, if that kind of describes you and all the pressures of this world of health and wealth and finances in the future, and if you apply equal pressure, that's the key, Benson and Matt. Again, they told me they cracked on themselves, but equal pressure, it doesn't crack. And this is kind of something that I thought was really cool as I was remembering early science classes as a kid, that the reality is that we're all under this pressure. Now, we're not all in the same boat. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. But there's pressure that all of us are facing all across the world in light of COVID-19. Trials and temptations of many kind. In fact, we've got friends that are with us this morning. I've already seen in Africa and in Kosovo and kind of scattered throughout the world. We're all journeying through this reality together of COVID-19 and of not wanting to be crushed in this reality. And here's what I love, that even in our world, that in Christ, that the Easter reality of the resurrection is not just one day of the, of the week. It's actually our entire lives. That we as Christians are Easter people every day that we wake up. Not just Sundays, not just Easter one day of the year, but all the time. And that we are not crushed by this world, but instead God is doing all things for his glory and for our good. But some of us do feel crushed. Like we feel like, man, we're just, we're, we're crushed, we're cracked. And one of the things that I love is that even in these seasons, and we're going to see in the book of James, because you're making breakfast right now. I know what you're doing. You're commenting online. I love that, right? But as you're spending your time this morning, one of our phrases at church that, that I love is that we believe that the kingdom of God eats empire for breakfast. That we really believe that God is redeeming and using all things for his glory and for our good. And so that's part of why we're doing this series at this time is that we do believe that James is going to teach us what does life look like when, again, we're, we're kind of feeling crushed. We're feeling beat up. We're, we're feeling like we're in the middle of suffering. All of us scattered throughout the world. And our number one value as a church that we're going to see in the text today is that we believe that there's more joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else that this world has to offer. That that's my dream and my hope for you as a pastor, is that tomorrow you will be happier than you are today. And that's only going to happen if you know who Jesus is. It's only going to happen if we look at his word, if we're, if we're spending time in the text and trusting and treasuring him. And so the third reason why we're looking at this series today is because I do believe that OST, we, we call that ongoing spiritual transformation, that that's one of the most important things about us. And I believe that's, that's God's desire for you and for me, that we would grow in our OST together today as a family, but also individually too. When I think about OST, this ongoing spiritual transformation, this healthy things grow, trusting God in the midst of trials and circumstances, here's my belief, that we grow, if you think about spiritual growth in your life, 
When have you had big moments of spiritual growth? You can even throw that in your comments. Again, we got family and friend and church staff that are online right now. would love to engage with you. But if you think about when have you had big growth spurts in your life spiritually, OSD has increased. I believe it's happened in one of two ways, either through painful circumstances or as a result of people investing in you. And if I could be really honest, it's usually a combination of both of those things. Now, my hope as a pastor, even as a friend or as a person, is to never intentionally increase your pain level as a person. I don't ever do anything to bring pain into your life, at least not intentionally. Sometimes the joke is unintentionally, I preach too long, although nowadays you can just pause and turn it off. But, but I won't do anything on purpose to increase your pain. And yet, honestly, church, I want to be really intentional about the people that we put in our lives the people that we're investing in, that we're calling to invest into us. Why? Because God grows us through relationships. And he grows us during times of uncertainty. He grows us during times of suffering and times of trials. And that's what we're going to see in this kind of vision series over these next 19 weeks in the book of James. That God wants to see your OST, your ongoing spiritual transformation increase. He wants you to live as a sent one, receiving his love, but actually being a conduit of his love and his grace to the world that, that's looking and longing for hope and peace and certainty in these uncertain times. I wrote a summary statement actually for the entire series. And we're going to be in this book for about 19 weeks. Here's my summary statement for the whole series. I think the theme is living sent. And James is going to write this pastoral call to these people, these saints, and he's going to call them to think rightly. He's going to start the letter saying, consider it. Think rightly and live rightly. As James writes this letter, he, he sees this connection between our, our hands and our heart and our head. And it's this wholeness of faith that James is primarily concerned about. Our OST, our ongoing spiritual transformation. That it's our faith that is ultimately revealed through our trials, which are not only a litmus test of our faith, but the trials are also an opportunity for us to receive joy and increased OST. Now, before we dive into James chapter one, I want to start with a few definitions, a few things that'll kind of help us because we're going to read some words and it's going to be helpful if we're all saying and reading and thinking the same thing when we see these words. These are just words that I Googled specifically and looked at dictionary.com. And so these are straight from the internet, copied and pasted. But three words I want us to make sure that we've got some alignment on. The first one is joy and then trials and then faith. Now, when I hear the word joy, I want to be very direct. If you look in the text in the Greek, the word joy and happy, markekos, happiness, joy, it's the same word. But maybe you, like me, kind of grew up in a church context where often people would say, well, joy and happiness, those are different things. Joy is a choice, and happiness is a fleeting emotion. I think we missed something there. In fact, as I talked to friends gr growing up, here's the reality. Whenever I tell someone, explain joy to me, and they believe joy and happiness are different things, you know what they do? They take all the joy out of the word joy. It's like, oh, it's, it's a duty, it's an obligation, it's a have to, like, it's a mentality. Now, don't misunderstand me. Do I think that joy is deeper? Yeah, if it's in deeper things. Do I think that joy can be deeper and happy? Yeah, if you're saying you're only happy in shallow things and you're joy in deep things. But I think joy for me is this word, and here's the definition, a feeling of great pleasure and what? Happiness. Joy is what you feel when the 49ers win the Super Bowl, hopefully next year, right? Because we missed it this year. Joy is what you feel when you find the Easter egg last week. Joy is what you feel when you see someone you haven't seen for a long time. It's that giddy feeling that your heart races. That's what joy is. It's not always loud. Sometimes it's really quiet and content. And it's still, but joy is that feeling of, of pleasure, of contentment, of happiness. That's what joy is. And we're going to look at the word joy today in the text. The other we're going to look at today in the text is trials. What are trials? Well, trials are a test in the performance and the qualities or suitability. Specifically, does it work? 
That's what we're looking at for trials. I'm going to have a different definition biblically of what are trials later. But that's what a trial is. A trial is something that says, is what you believe actually what you believe? And we think about faith. Faith is what are you putting in something or someone. This idea of complete confidence and trust. Like right now, I'm sitting on a stool. Like I have a faith and a confidence and a trust that this stool is going to hold me. And so these three words are going to be key for our study specifically today. Joy and trials and faith. Where do we place our faith? Where do we place our trust? Is our faith trustworthy? Does it survive the trials of life? Does it hold up and does it actually give us joy? Is there contentment? Because our value as a church, our number one value is that we believe there's more joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else this world has to offer. We believe that that in Jesus that we are not crushed that even when we feel like we're crushed, that God has the ability to take our eggs and, and give us breakfast because kingdom eats empire for breakfast every time. So as you're eating your breakfast this morning, thank you for joining with us as we look at the text to fight for our joy, but ultimately to see that in Christ, it's already been won, that the tomb is still empty, that he is risen. Come on, say it. You don't have to just wait for Easter. He is risen indeed. And so that's what we're going to see in the text today. Here's my summary statement for our text. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 primarily. Here's my summary statement. As a pastor, James is this pastor writing to the scattered church. James writes this book encouraging believers in their faith journey. And that's my hope for you, that this study will encourage you. You're scattered too for a different reason than they're scattered. But we're all scattered under different roofs but under one name. And here's his hope. That not only will we see how to live in the kingdom as sent ones, but also that we'll recognize that the gift of trials, that what they really are, and the joy that comes in them, not just as a result of them. Again, language matters, and we got to pay attention to what James says here in the text, that there is a joy in the trials themselves. If you have your Bibles from me, James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to pray. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father God, we come before you today. Longing. Looking, even as Jason just saying, give us Jesus. We're longing, we're looking, we look to you. So Spirit of God, we pray that you would speak to us. Through your words from James, would you bind my lips from anything that will not bring you glory and bring us good, but instead would you allow us to see you clearly for your glory and our good, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So here's where we're going to go. Starting in verse 1, James gives us some context. So I said, why are we studying this text in, in our town? These are some of the circumstances that we're all in the middle of, sheltered in place, the, ch- the scattered church. But really what's most important to us as a church is not our town, it's their town. When we read the book, we're always asking the question, what is the author's intent? What is James writing? Who is James writing to? And honestly, James did not write the book for COVID-19. He wrote the book and he tells us right here. And I want to know why did James write the book in their town, not just in our town? So so here's the text in their town, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, he sends greeting. Two things I want to highlight for you. James is the author. 
We actually know James. There's a lot of James in the New Testament, but this is James, Jesus' half-brother. That's who we're talking about here. In fact, we first meet James all the way back probably in John chapter 7, verse 5. And in John chapter 7, verse 5, he, along with all the other brothers, rejected Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, but obviously he heard all about Jesus. He interacted with Jesus. And so now, fast forward uh, some years, we're actually probably in the year 45 to 50 as James writes this. And as James writes this, he says, James, I'm, I'm writing to you as a servant of God. James' name in the Hebrew actually is Jacob. James is the Greek way that you would say his name. And so, so we're going to call him James because that's what's easiest here in the text. But Jacob, James, he is writing as the half-brother of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I believe now. There was a season that I didn't believe, but now I do. Now, here's what we know about James at this point in his life. He's actually the leader of the Jerusalem church. We see that in Acts chapter 15. We see at the end of Acts chapter 21 where Paul comes to James. And so James went from being a not believer, a doubter, a rejecter of Jesus, to not only being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but actually being the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so that's the James that's writing this book. And he's writing it as a pastor. Who to? Well, he tells us right here, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. I don't miss this. James' name being Jacob. Jacob was the 12 tribes of Israel, his sons. Now those 12 tribes right now that James is writing to, why are they scattered? Well, they're scattered. If you remember the book of Acts chapter 7, Stephen has just been recently stoned. In chapter 7, Stephen was stoned in AD 35, and now the church is scattered. Some of them have been Jews that have been sent by the local church to go to different regions to share about the joy of Jesus, but some of them have scattered because of persecution. They're scattered because they're feel for, fearful for their life. And so that's what we see right here in the text is that James is writing to the scattered church, just like to the, to the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. That's who James is writing to here, that he is, that they are sent. And he kind of sends this as like marching orders. This is the good news. This is the gospel. They didn't have the gospel written. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has fallen in Acts chapter 2. But now they're sent with this kind of guide. What does life look like as sent ones? Now, whether we're sent on purpose, or whether we're sent because of persecution, these people are sent. And so now we get to the text. This is coming out of verse 1. It gives us the context of what's going on in their town. And here's how the text starts. We're still the first paragraph, verses two through four. There, there's so much here. As James writes this kind of marching orders, this guide to what does it look like to live as the sent ones, James is going to give us between 55 and, and 60 commands in this letter. He's going to give us a whole lot of things. The, the whole letter is only just over 100 verses. And yet there's that many commands. Why? Because he doesn't want them to miss what does it look like to live as sent ones. And so I don't know about you, but if I'm writing a letter to my friends and my family that I can't be with, hypothetically, literally right now, I can't be with everybody. And so if I'm writing you a letter, I'm going to make sure that I'm very clear with what matters most so that you live in the kingdom of God as a sent one. And I think the first command matters. The very first command that James gives us in his letter, chapter 1, verse 2, he commands us to be happy. That's his first command. And you're like, wait, what? I, I thought as a Christian, I kind of stuffed my happiness to be a Christian. No, don't miss what James says here. Here's the very first command. Count it all joy. Now, it's not just James that says this. This idea of more joy in Jesus isn't something that Vintage Grace came up with, isn't something that John Piper came up with. It's all over the text. Go read the Psalms. It's literally everywhere. Psalm 5, take refuge and in you rejoice, but let them ever sing for joy. Those who love your name would exalt you. There's this joy that comes from trusting and treasuring and following God. He says this, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. 
Don't miss this. This is what I mean by Christians should be the happiest people in the world. Why? Because we were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive and that makes us happy. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. All throughout the Psalms, we see this. In fact, in Psalm 37, there's literally a command to be what? To be happy. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, that in him, it's not just that the Lord gives us happiness. He's not this vending machine that if we do this, then we get this. That just being in his presence makes us happy. That's what the garden was. When God designed you and me and created us in the garden, our pleasures were to be in him forevermore. There was no need for joy outside of him. But we know Adam and Eve and everyone in between them and you and me have settled for lesser joys. And so we see that even in, in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes in the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it what? Rejoice. Now, why do we see authors really repeat themselves? Because we're slow, because we miss things, because we read this like, wait a second. You mean I'm supposed to be happy in God? Yes. It's a command from David, it's a command from Paul, and it's a command today from James. It's the very first command he gives us in this whole outline of how to live as sent ones, how to live in the kingdom of God. We live as happy people. He says, Count all joys, my brothers. Now, I love this word. James is writing to people that he cares deeply about. He has great affections for them. Don't miss this. James and all of his physical brothers, they miss Jesus. So, so understand who the author is, why he's saying this. He says, guys, I miss the joy of being in relationship with Jesus. I don't want you to miss it. Brothers, count it all joy. This is not going to make sense to you, and you're going to be tempted to miss the joy of Jesus. And so I'm writing you this letters so that you would not miss it. Now, by God's grace, there have been many people that God has put in my life to help me not miss the joy of Jesus. One of them is a guy that I refer to as, as my pastor. I call him my personal pastor. We talk all the time. Todd, I think you're even watching today. I love you. I'm so thankful for you because you've helped me not miss it. Like James, the older brother, riding to the scattered church, I've had men and women that God has given me to invest into me so I don't miss it. And so I want to share four things that I actually heard from Todd Chapman years ago so that I wouldn't miss the joy of Jesus. And because I believe that within the church, we miss it all the time. And I don't want you to miss it. I think there's four reasons. Here's the first one that, that Todd had shared with me. Bad theology. We believe incorrectly that God actually doesn't want us to be happy. That God is glorified by our suppressing our desire for joy. And that's why I wanted to read you guys all those psalms. You can read more. You can do more study on joy in the text. And what does it mean to be happy in Jesus? But if we're saturated in scripture, we're going to see the joy of Jesus all over it. We're going to see that, not in the old, but in the new, from Jesus' followers, and hopefully even in the people around us. But I do believe that we have bad theology. We've let our experience dictate our theology and not actually the word of God. That's one reason why we miss it. The second reason why I think that we're tempted to miss it is because we're too easily pleased. One of the ways we define sin here at Vintage Grace is when we settle for lesser joys. That's a phrase taken straight from the weight of glory. C.S. Lewis, he says this in that book, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. No, we are far too easily pleased. And so I think we're, we're tempted to miss the joy of Jesus, A, because we don't read the text, B, because we settle for less, we're too easily pleased, and that's where James says don't miss this. The third and fourth reasons actually kind of go together, that it's a defense mechanism. For many of us, we're afraid to hope for joy because of our past experiences. 
We've been let down too many times, so therefore we're like, well, if I just set the expectations low, then I'm never going to be disappointed. Guys, that's not the joy-filled life of following Jesus. Don't let your past experiences stop your future joy in Jesus. And so that's a defense mechanism we see all the time. And really it leads to the fourth one, which is honestly, I think the biggest, deepest issue for us. Why do we miss the joy of Jesus? Because, because ultimately we just don't have strong enough faith. I'm not saying that, that joy is this choice that you're like, I got to choose joy. I'm saying that we don't actually trust that God's better is better. I told you I was coming back from sabbatical. That was one of my biggest takeaways is that in my faith, in my relationship with God, I trust God, but here's the reality, not enough. And I wonder if even COVID-19 is bringing up emotions for all of us that we trust God, but ultimately not enough. In fact, I've seen that, that meme kind of going right now. Do you realize that a mustard seed of faith can move the mountains and yet COVID-19 has paralyzed the world? Guys, that's the faith that God calls us to have. And the reality is all of us need more faith. I mean, honestly, just raise your hand. We do this right at church. Just raise your hand. If you lack enough faith today, raise your hand. Now, again, most of us as a church should have two hands, right? Like in your living rooms, let your kids see this. This is part of being a disciple maker as a parent. I need more faith. I need to trust God more. In fact, that's one of my regular prayers. Lord, help me in my lack of faith. It's not strong enough. We simply just don't believe that God can and will deliver. And so church, can I just encourage you? Wherever you are in these four realities, bad theology, easily pleased, defense, not strong enough faith, this leads to an oversimplified, non-biblical worldview, which is simply this, that good circumstances equal joy. And the inverse in that bad worldview is true, right? That bad circumstances equal misery. And that's what makes the text today feel so awkward and so distant for us. Because this has been, for many of us, our poor worldview that doesn't come from the text or from God himself. No, James gives us the worldview. Let's continue on in the text. He says, we're commanded to be happy in the midst of cruddy times. Here's what verse 2 says. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it. Take it to the bank. Consider it. Think rightly, my brothers. When you meet very Various trials of various kinds. He says when. When you meet trials. Now, now again, I, as a pastor, I've met with countless people that years after trials and temptations, they look back and they say, oh, now I see what God did. In fact, I've always said it this way. I think trials are most clear in the rearview mirror of life. The further you get away from that reality, you're like, oh my goodness, your perspective changes. It, it opens, it broadens. You say, that's what God was doing but vintage, when we wake up in the morning, part of what we're praying every day is, God, what are you inviting me into? Because we believe that God is using all things for his glory and for our good. Not some things. That our God is greater than any and everything. He's more powerful than our circumstances. And so James believes that. And so what he says is not after your trials. What does he say? He says, when you meet various trials of various kinds. And there are different types of trials. I think James is writing specifically to the scattered church. Why are they scattered? Because of persecution. I think that might be like the highest form of trials, right? When we suffer for Jesus. There's other types of suffering too. There's suffering that we live in a fallen, broken world, like cancer. I don't think that's a result of anything that you did or that I did, but, but cancer is a form of suffering. It's a various type of trial. There's persecution. There's suffering in a fallen world. I think another type of suffering would be the result of sin. We've seen that in our study in Ezra and Nehemiah, right? That, that the Israelites don't trust that God's better is better. As a result, God warns them. He gives them opportunity. But the cycle of sin continues and he actually punishes them. And so that's another kind of a trial that when we choose to not trust that God's better is better. And then we end up with lesser joys because we chose lesser joys. And so here's what James is saying. All of these categories matter. 
I don't care what your suffering is about. Now, James writing to the scattered church suffering and persecution. But wherever you are, I do believe that you're in the middle of some sort of trial, some sort of, of suffering. And, and I would give you this definition of trial or of suffering. This is a definition that actually comes from our very first elder chair at Vintage Grace. His name's Dan Jones. He, he Again, if you don't know Dan, you probably don't because he was an elder at a distant. When my wife and I moved up here from Southern California, Dan was an elder at RCC and then became our first elder chair, really one of our very first elders with Michael Godshaw and Dan Jones and even Todd Chapman was on that first elder board. And here's Dan's definition I think is brilliant. It's the gap between your present state and your desired state. That's what suffering is. That's what pain is. That's what a trial is. And every one of us has trials. Every one of us in our life has gaps between our present state and our desired state. My, my favorite kind of joke about my suffering is the suffering I give to my wife. Like there's a gap between the present state of my abs and her desired state of my abs, right? And that's suffering. Now again, it's not that big of suffering, even though this is that big, right? No, no. Suffering is just the gap. Whatever the gap is, physically, emotionally, spiritually, every one of us right now in our living rooms, there's a gap. Maybe even just being in our living room is part of the gap. It's part of the trial that James is writing about here. He says various kinds, various types of trials, but here's James' heart for you, that you would have joy even when times are cruddy. Not because times are good. That's the what we settle for. We settle for joy or happiness when times are good. But joy in Jesus means that we can have joy even when times are cruddy. Even when the gap is big. And yet if you think about your prayer life, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not you. But I often say, God, here's my desired state. Would you bring me from here to here? That's not what James is writing about. James is saying that there's actually joy right here. He says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds right here. And so it's appropriate for us, the church, to say, wait, wait, why? Why would we find joy if our actual state, our present state still stinks? Why would we find joy? Here's why. Look at verse 3. Because... For you know, again, the connection between our head and our heart, you know, you think rightly about the testing of your faith which produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, we don't have time to pull all of this apart today. I know I said we're only doing three verses, but we're going to run out of time. And so I would encourage you, spend time in your life group. Spend time asking these questions, like saying, why, Dan? Why is God doing something? Why, James? What is God doing? Here's what James tells us, that we are commanded to be happy in the midst of cruddy circumstances because those cruddy circumstances will lead us to increased OST. Because God has a hope for you that you would fully trust him, that you would treasure him more. I joke that it's my hope that you're happier tomorrow than you are today. Well, guess what? That's God's hope. That your happiness would be full and complete. We read that in the Psalms that it would be in him. And he doesn't ever change. We're going to see that later in James. He says this. You know that when your faith is tested, it is going to produce something. That, that our reality is we look at the end of a trial and then we have joy. And here's James's reality. He says, I want you to have joy earlier on in the journey of trials. Because trials are everywhere. The gap between our, our present state and our desired state is everywhere in our life. And we spend so much time, talent, and treasure trying to shrink the gap. And so little of our time saying, God, what do you have for me in the gap? God, what do you want for me in my present state? Well, you want me to trust you? 
You want me to treasure you? This is, this is our prayer journal to God, saying, God, what are you doing? And here's the reason why, because God is doing something. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect. And that's a word we're going to be parsing over the next few weeks. You unintentionally just signed up to join me next Sunday, by the way, because we're not going to answer all your questions right now. So I want to encourage you, spend time in the text. Join me on Facebook Live tomorrow. We're doing a Q&A about this. We're going to wrestle with what does this look like? Why is this? Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in what? Nothing. I think sometimes we read these verses. In fact, we actually see this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, I want you to be perfect like my Father above is perfect. And we're like, yeah, that's just Jesus speaking spiritual terms. No, this is Jesus saying, this is what I want for you. This is my hope for you. I love you and I want you to be happy. And that's going to happen when you see that God the Father is in control of all things. That we are not crushed and in despair when we're in Christ. But there are times in our life that we feel that way and that God is still redeeming and using all things. And as a result of this, there is a joy-filled journey of trusting and treasuring Jesus so that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the answer to the why. And when we can be in the middle of cruddy circumstances and say, but God, I know you're doing something. God, I know you're taking me somewhere. I don't know where, but I trust you. That's what faith is. Faith is saying that I do believe that your better is better. People tease me all the time. You drew, you got so many hashtags, you got so many slogans, so many t-shirts. Why? Because I forget. Because I, like you, am tempted in the midst of cruddy circumstance to forget that I can have joy. And when I don't have joy, then of course I ask the question, well, how? How can being in the middle of cruddy circumstances help me in my journey of faith? Because all I ever really want is to get from my present actual state to my desired state. And the reality is God says, I've got something for you in the suffering. I've got something for you in the brokenness, regardless of what type of trial you're in the middle of. I've got something for you, for your good and for my glory. So the implication, and we do this at the end of every sermon, it's the, the so what part of the text. We read the text in their town thousands of years before our town, but how does it apply in our town? Here's how it applies. Well, how do we get more joy in Jesus? How do we look at our current circumstance and say, well, God, the kingdom eats empire for breakfast. How are you making scrambled eggs out of my being crushed? How? What are you doing? Three things I want you to consider and contemplate this week. Here's the first one. I think trials help us by identifying what we truly value. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of a trial, I know it's a trial because it hurts. Because my joy is compromised. That's how I know it's a trial. If you were to tell me today, Drew, you don't ever have to watch a Dodgers game, a Lakers game, or a Seahawks game for the rest of 2020, I'd be like, cool, no big deal. I wouldn't actually care because I don't care about them. But if you would say, well, Drew, you can't watch the 49ers or the Giants or the Warriors, like that would hurt. Trials reveal to us what we care about. Trials reveal to us those things. And if I could be really honest, like as much as I'm a diehard Bay Area sports fan, I actually care about those three teams less today than I did 10 years ago also. Why? Because in perspective, they just don't matter as much. It's not that they don't bring me joy. They do bring me joy. It's just not as much joy. And that's the gift of trials. Trials help us identify what brings us joy. Trials help us identify what sits on the throne of our hearts. What are the things that we ascribe value to? Not only do they help us identify, but they also help us appraise how much value we put into something. Let me help you out a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. When I say we appraise how much, the word worship sometimes for me is counterproductive in the church because we only use it in the sense of giving value to God. But worship, at the core value of the word, it means you're ascribing, you're sending, you're shipping worth to something or someone. That's what worship is. 
And so when we gather in our living rooms and when we sing, we're ascribing value vertically to who God is. When we give of our time, we're ascribing a value to something saying, this is worth my time. When we're giving, we're saying, this is worth my treasure. When we're serving, we're saying, this is worth my talent. And so trials for me, honestly, it helps me not only identify, but also appraise, hey, do I have more value in something than it's really worth? Again, the, the sports thing, it's like, well, not as much value as it used to. But if you would tell me specifically that, you know, my, my son was in an accident, thinking for us, cancer for Braden, or my wife got into a tragic car accident, like, like I would hurt. There would be a value that has been ascribed to them that, that's an appropriate value, your job. You love your job. Is it an appropriate value? Your home. You love your home. Is there an appropriate value that you've ascribed and can you appraise that? And trials allows us because when we lose something, what we see is not only did we care about it, but how much did we care about it? And idolatry for me, here's my definition of idolatry, simply this. It's giving something more value than God ever intended it to have. That's what idolatry is. You can actually have your kids as idols in your life. You can have your home. You can have your marriage. You can have really good things become idols because you're giving it more value than God intended to have. And so trials allow us to not only appraise, but also assess and, and identify what those are. What do we find value? And here's my ultimate hope. I think it's James' ultimate hope too. As he's writing to the scattered church is that through trials, we would be wooed back to Jesus. That every one of us has a temptation to, to wander, to stray. That we are all like sheep that have wandered each our own way. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He comes back and he woos us. And, and don't miss this. James is writing to the scattered church saying, don't miss the joy of Jesus. Why does James care so much about this? Because he missed the joy of Jesus. Because he, like you and me, would be tempted to think that our joy is in our present circumstances. And yet the reality is we can have joy in our present cruddy circumstances if our joy is in Jesus. Because he's greater than our circumstances. Because he's greater than every high and every low. Because he is greater than every sickness. He's greater than every piece of health and every piece of wealth. Because here's the reality. Everything that we have, we talked about this just last week at Easter, that all of us are dying. Everything that we have is fading away. James is going to talk about this throughout his letter. And he's going to say this, whatever you're ascribing value in, it's going to be gone someday. All of it. It's really what we call death, right? That, that it all passes away physically. All these things that we're ascribing value to. Here's what James says. But in Christ, your relationship with God, he conquered the grave. He's greater than that your time with him is not going to stop when you breathe your last breath if you place your faith and your trust and your treasure in him. And so James writes this letter to the sent ones of the church. I share this letter with you on behalf of James and the Holy Spirit to the sent ones, the scattered ones in our living rooms to say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that your OST might increase. That's my prayer for you, church. That's why we worship. As we're scattered under different roofs, under one name, the name of Jesus, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you that in this world of suffering, in this world where our, our actual state and our desired state, that there's a gap. And for some of us right now, the gap is huge. But, but Lord, our, our joy is not in our circumstances. Our joy is in you. 
And so help us to see that. And if right now our joy is not full in you, would you help us to repent over that and to say, Jesus, give us a joy that only comes from you. I pray that for all of my family and all of my friends, that, that as Christians, there's not an absence of pain or grief. There's, there's not a removal of COVID-19, or there's not like a disappearance of the shelter in place. No, that there is pain, that there is testing, that there is hurting, and that it's not easy, that it's painful. And we know it's painful because it hurts. And so right now, Spirit of God, I pray that you would comfort those of us who are hurting. I pray that you would come and surround us with your peace by your presence that we do believe that your better is better, but all of us lack in our belief. So Spirit of God, would you help us to believe? We pray this for your glory and so that the world that's looking for joy, that they might actually see our joy is in you and not in the circumstance of this day. And everybody said, amen.